Good morning. All right, so last week we shared a way for you to also financially support people uh, in Ukraine uh, and the refugees, and that was mtw.org. So MTW is the sort of the mission's arm to the world. Mission to the world is what that stands for of our particular denomination, which is the Presbyterian Church in America. I want to share another one with you as well. Uh, so this is NCF, um, the National Christian Foundation of South Florida. There's a local chapter of the National Christian Foundation here. Uh, a bunch of you guys are plugged in there. I actually have the privilege of serving on the board there. Really, really an amazing group of people, and they have put together a crisis relief fund. The funds are going to be going toward helping alleviate the suffering that's going on because of what all is going on in Ukraine presently. Uh, and they are working with four different organizations, all of them very agile, all of them really well experienced in terms of dealing with these kinds of things. So Samaritan's Purse is one of the four. World Relief is another one of the four. Uh, one Hope, which is a worldwide ministry that actually has their local headquarters are here. And we know them dearly. They're wonderful and incredible people. They do amazing work with kids in particular. And Awana also is the other one. So that's the fourth. So if you're looking at doing something in addition to praying for these guys, and please, please do pray for them, but you want to do something financially as well, that's a great outlet, and if you want to take your phone and sort of make that happen, you totally have my permission to do that, and we're good, okay? All right, well, we have, for the last nine weeks, including today, been studying through a bunch of the parables of Jesus. And today, we come to a parable that deals with the topic of prayer in which Jesus is going to come to me, he's going to come to you, and here's how he's going to encourage us. He's going to tell us that when we pray, we are to pray expectantly. In other words, we are to pray as those who really and truly believe that A, God hears our prayers, and B, that he answers our prayers. All right, I just want to stop here on the front end, compare that to your expectation level in prayer. Is it where you're at? Because it's where Jesus wants to go. Do you dare go there? You dare to believe that when you pray, Almighty God hears it and answers it. So Jesus gives us this story. It's a little story, honestly, and it's in the middle of a prayer and all kinds of teaching on prayer. And so what we're going to do today is we're just going to look at the whole of it, from the start of the prayer all the way down to the end of the teaching with the parable in the center. And we pick up our study today in Luke 11, beginning of verse 1, where Jesus, or where Luke says this. He says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And I'm going to stop right there. I know that's a little frustrating. We're going to get back to it. Don't worry. But it's something about Luke's gospel that I want to point out to you. Luke is giving us his account of the life of Jesus. It's 24 chapters long, the whole book. We're in chapter 11, so we're right about at the middle. This is the fifth time he's commented on the prayer life of Jesus. And we're not even quite to the center yet. It's like Luke is going, look, there's something I want you to know about Jesus. He was a man of prayer. Okay, did you get that? No? All right, so he was a man of prayer. How about now? Did you get that? No? Okay, so he was a man of prayer. That's three times. Still not hearing it? He was a man of prayer. All right, look, it's chapter 11. I got more to say about this, but I'm for the fifth time going to tell you that he was a man of prayer, and all of his disciples noticed. In fact, it says, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray, even as John the Baptist, and that's the reference here, taught his disciples how to pray. Now consider this. This is the only time the disciples of Jesus ever come to Jesus and say, we want you to teach us how to do something. Think about that. I mean, that's amazing. Like they could have come to Jesus and said, listen, you know, we, we kind of get the impression that we got, you know, like we're going to be carrying this mission on here. Like we have a part to play in all of this. And we've sort of noticed that you were the most amazing communicator ever. Thinking maybe a little teaching on preaching would be a helpful thing. It would be good for the cause. Lord, teach us how to speak like you do, how to teach like you don't ask that. All right, well, what about the miracles? 
because they're pretty amazing. I mean, the mute speak, the blind see, the deaf hear, the paralyzed man, in command of Jesus, just gets up and picks up his mat. He doesn't even need rehab. Like, he doesn't have to go to a rehab center for six months, you know, to build up his muscular. Like, he is fully healed, rehabbed. He knows how to walk. Walks away. The dead are raised. I don't know. Maybe a few lessons on healing. That might be helpful to us as we seek to carry out your mission, as we seek to be your ambassadors. What about powers over nature? Jesus turns water into wine, and it was like really good wine. Like, he should label this wine. This is... This is remarkable wine. Like he just turns water into wine. He speaks to nature and the natural realm obeys him. Like he says to the storm, stop, and it does. He walks on water. Little tutoring would be nice. Jesus lives his whole life in the center of a storm. He is constantly having people coming to him with crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis, like life and death kind of crises, okay? That's exhausting. And more than that, he's constantly having people all around him who are trying to trick him, who are trying to trap him, who are trying to murder him. It's like being in the center of a tornado, and yet he is a man of peace, and yet he is a man of joy. Jesus, teach us how to do that. Like you sleep all night long. So it's remarkable. Teach us how to do that. These guys intuit something. They realize kind of intuitive because they've been watching the life of this Jesus who's a man of prayer and of prayer and of prayer and of prayer and of prayer. And we're in chapter 11 and they're like, you know what? I think all this other stuff comes out of this. Like we see your joy with the Lord. We see your your peace with the Father. We see the intimacy of your relationship and all of the power that is flowing out of that. You're doing life with the Father. So teach us how to do that. Lord, teach us to pray, even as John once taught his disciples how to pray. And Jesus honors the request. And listen to what he says in response. And don't miss the next word. He says, when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray. He's like, when you pray. And here's what he means by that. He doesn't mean when you pray, when there's some kind of a crisis in your life and you've tried everything else and you think, oh, what the heck, I'll try this too. You know, maybe this will work. I'll throw one up there. No expectations. He said, no, no, no. When you pray as a part of this kind of life that you're watching me live, this, this life of regular, intimate communication with the Father in which I and he are moving through life together, in which he's telling me not only what to say, but how to say it. And I am just following his lead. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's anointed me with doing his work, like as a part of the life of prayer that I have modeled before you and am calling you into. You've seen the benefit. Okay, well, when you pray as a part of that kind of life, here's how to pray. And then what he gives to us is a prayer that is actually, and I want to say this carefully because I grew up doing this and I'm glad, but it's actually not a prayer that we're all supposed to memorize and then recite verbatim. It's not. Now, when I was a kid, I would go to church every Sunday because I had to, you're welcome. And my parents would take me. And one of the things that we did every Sunday is we recited the Lord's Prayer together. I'm glad we did that. It ingrained it into my heart and mind. I feel certain that, you know, if I lose memory of everything, you know, including my name, I'll still remember the Lord's Prayer. I will. But it's not meant to be prayed that way. What is it? 
Jesus is coming to these guys and he's saying, when you pray as a part of this kind of life that you've seen me model, use this model prayer. And in this model prayer, what you have is a prioritized list of topics that you then talk through with the Father when you pray. Or to put it differently, it's like a series of topical hooks that one by one, respecting the order that it's given to us in, you come to and you say, all right, so topical hook number one, I have words and I'm going to hang them on that. I have worship and I'm going to hang them on that. I have praise and I'm going to hang it on that. I have concerns, I'm going to hang it on that. Like I'm going to, I have feelings, I'm going to hang it on that. And then when I'm done with that, I'm going to move on to the next, to the next, to the next and so forth. And the first hook, the first topic is who God is and really who we are in relationship to him. Jesus says, when you pray, say this, and then he says, Father, to which Matthew in his more expanded version of this prayer adds in heaven. And whenever God is pictured in heaven in the Bible, guys, he is seated on the throne of the universe. In other words, he is pictured as the great God and king of all of the universe whose power and dominion extends over absolutely everything and over absolutely everyone. Jesus is like, look, when you come to the Father in prayer as a part of this kind of life that I'm calling you into, okay, it starts with God. He is the great God and King, who through faith in me, by the way, is your Father. He's saying, begin with who God is and with who you are through faith in Jesus. Like, I have removed all of the barriers of sin and everything else that you might be adopted really and truly and eternally into the family of God. You are the beloved son or daughter of the great God and King of the universe whose power extends over absolutely everything and everyone and who calls you his child, who welcomes you up into his lap. I don't know, but I think that's pretty motivating when it comes to prayer, first of all. But then secondly, he's like, okay, so that should fill your heart up with joy and and with praise and with worship as you work out the implications of that in your mind. Like, there should be words, speech, hang them on the first hook. And when you're done with that, then move on to the second hook, which is hallowed or really holy be your name. And the name of God stands for God himself. And so what he's saying is, look, this great God and king of the universe, whose power and dominion extends over absolutely everything and everyone, who is your father through faith in Jesus, and you are his beloved son or daughter, is holy. Now, why is that significant? Because it means other than. It means separate from. It means set apart. It means appreciably and dramatically and even infinitely different from everything and everyone else. I mean, you read through the Bible, God comes, from, for example, in Isaiah chapter 40, and he challenges us. He says, to whom will you compare me that I should be like him? And then what does it say? Says the Holy One. So how do you answer that? I mean, obviously there are some similarities in, in many ways between us and God. So we've been created in his image, and I think that even shows up in the way that we've been created physically. God doesn't have a body like I do like you do. But we have eyes that see because we've been created in the image of a God who sees. We have ears that hear because our God hears, and mouths that speak because he speaks. Hands that work, he works. Feet that move, he moves. Hearts that feel because he feels. Minds that can make all kinds of decisions because he has an infinitely greater mind that can make all kinds of decisions. I mean, there are all of these things that reflect the image of God that are in us and that we have the ability to enjoy. But... And he's different. And different is good. You know, so silly example. Let's say that you come up to me after church and you say, hey, Tom, you've got a pickup truck. Shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody because that makes you a mover. So that's one of the things. Like if you're thinking about buying a truck, you're now in the moving business, all right? 
everybody's your friend. So you've got a truck and I've got to move this couch and I need to get it out and I need to get it out by, you know, like Tuesday or whatever. And, you know, what works for you? And I say, oh, you know, I'll come by your house seven o'clock tonight or whatever. And you're like, no, 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 I, I really need to know you're going to be there. All right. Well, I'm, you want me to show you the calendar? You know, yeah, yeah. I want you to put it on the calendar. Okay. All right. All right. It's getting weird. I'll put it. You need to talk to Beth and make sure that it's, it's good with her. That's a good idea. Actually, that, that's good. I would do that. All right. She says that it's fine. Okay. I promise you I'm coming. I'm going to be there. What if I get sick? What if my car breaks down? What if some other emergency happens? Honestly. And all of a sudden I'm like, listen, you're DEFCOM 1 in comparison with DEFCOM 5. I'm going to call. I'm going to explain. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to say, can I come at 9 instead of 7? What about tomorrow morning? I'll show up then. You can borrow the truck. Hint, hint. You know, I'll trade you cars for a day. I can't promise you anything. I mean, I can, and I've had all the intentions in the world of following through. And, you know, I mean, more often than not, of course, that happens and it gets followed through. God's like, yeah, I don't live in that kind of a universe. Like, I, There's no contingency that, that stops me from keeping all of my promises to you. By the way, I've promised that I hear your prayers and that I answer them. I've promised that. It's motivating. Jesus is like, yeah, let that fill you up. Work out the implications of that in your heart and in your mind. Go over to that hook called you are holy and start hanging stuff on that. Words, praise, concerns, disappointments, questions. Topical hooks. Third hook, he continues. Your kingdom come, which Matthew again expands by adding your will be done where? On earth, how? As it is in heaven. And how is that exactly? That would be perfectly. Okay, we got some stuff to talk about, right? So wait a minute. You want your kingdom to come here, and you want me as a part of your kingdom here to do your will as it's done in heaven, which is perfectly. We're going to get to the forgiveness part here in a minute. But I mean, really, like, Lord, show me what that looks like. What does that mean for your kingdom to come in my life? Like, what piece of me now do I need to surrender to the onslaught of your kingdom in a glorious way? How does that look in my life, in my family, in my workplace, in this city, in this nation, in the world? Like, because you are coming eventually to take the whole of this thing. We have things to talk about. This is helpful, isn't it? Because I think, you know, when I talk to people about prayer, they're like, yeah, man, I get five minutes in. All right, let's be honest. I get five seconds in. I'm done. Like, I don't know what else to say. Jesus is like, first of all, let me invite you into a life of prayer. And let me give you the things to talk about. Serving up these hooks in a prioritized order. And what that does is it brings us to the second half of this model prayer, which is usually the part that we start with. Like we, we flip it because this is the part where we get to pray for ourselves and for our needs, which by the way, in telling us and giving this, these hooks, he's telling us what we actually need. It's interesting. Jesus says this. He says, give us. Now, wait a minute. That's not me. It's us. So even here, I don't just pray for me. I pray for us. Give us each day our daily bread. That's a hook. And forgive us our sins, to which he then adds, for we ourselves, what? Forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's a hook. And it feels a little presumptuous, doesn't it? Do we do that? Okay, so forgive me my sins because, you know, I forgive 
everyone else. Okay, well, wait a minute. Might be some things to talk about there. It's a requirement of the gospel that we forgive other people, and we don't like that word requirement. You know, don't come to me with ultimatums. We don't, we don't like that, but, but think it through for a minute because who is this God? He is your perfect, loving, heavenly Father. If he commands you to do something, he's not being a tyrant. He's manifesting his greater wisdom. I mean, think about your life for a minute. Let's say that you were physically starving, like you have not eaten in a week and you are literally just starving and God came to you with a banquet full of food and he says, now listen, I'm going to command you to do something here. I'm going to command you to eat. Now, I'm going to command you to start slow, okay? Like, I don't want you to get sick, but like, I'm going to command you to eat this banquet. I want you to take part of this food. Like, this is for you. I'm coming. I'm requiring, and I don't think you'd go, you know what? I don't take ultimatums. So, no, thank you. If you want to suggest it, Lord, I'll just make suggestions. Because he always knows what's right. But if you were sleep deprived, I haven't slept in a week. And God came to you with this wonderful, comfortable bed, you know, with like a little, a chiropractic pillow, and then you've got like this, like this squishy pillow, which is actually two pillows. You have this, right? Stuffed into one pillowcase and then a five foot long body pillow so that you can kind of, you know, you can do like this, you know, and then a weighted blanket, which makes you feel hugged. That's not an exaggeration. And then, you know, and like you can, you know, it's like you can dream about the Heisman and, right? And he commands you, get in the bed, go to sleep. I'm not going to argue. What if unforgiveness was like a cancer in your life? A poison uncontained in your soul. Metastasizing, showing up in all kinds of ways. Your perspective on life makes you cynical. It makes you bitter. Makes you untrusting. It affects everything. God's like, listen, I'm going to command you to do something for your good. As a manifestation of what I've done for you, I am the infinite God. So any, any sin at all, even the tiniest little thing, is not little because it's a sin against an infinitely valuable being. So it is of infinite demerit, if you will. Well, I'm not an infinite being. I mean, even the most grievous sin against me is small compared to this. He's like, if I can forgive you this, Surely you can forgive this. You can replicate my character in the doing of it and advance my kingdom, which we started with, right? Like God, who he is, he's holy, his kingdom. Now we're getting down to the us stuff. It's all subordinated. The priority matters. He's like, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation. Well, if you're following Jesus, he's not going to lead you into temptation. It's when we step off the path that that's where we find ourselves. So what Jesus is doing is he's coming. He's going, all right, you got the first three hooks. Okay, now we got three more. Okay, so give us this day our daily bread. He's like, you need daily bread? Pray for that. You're like, actually, I don't think I do need daily bread because if you were at my house to move the couch. I could show you the refrigerator and it's, it's stocked. Like, and then I got like three pantries and they're stocked. And then if we went in the garage, I've have another refrigerator and it's stocked. And then I have a freezer also in the garage that's stocked. I have the ability to go to Publix. It's right around the corner and I can buy whatever I want. Like I don't need daily bread. I think I can check that off the list, but who is our daily bread? Cause it's not a what only it's him. He's like, listen, you have a daily need for me. 
for my grace in your life, for my presence in your life, for my forgiveness in your life, for my voice in your life, for my leadership in your life, for my comfort in your life, for my encouragement in your life, for my power in your life. He's like, you need me every day. Pray for that. You need to be forgiven. Pray for that. To forgive others. Pray for that. You need protection from temptation and from the tempter against whom you are powerless. But God is all-powerful. He's the great God and King whose power and dominion extends over everything and everyone who is your loving, perfect, heavenly Father. And you're his child. He's like, pray about that. And when you do, because now we've reached the story, the parable, pray expectantly. He continues in verse 5. Luke says, and Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend who in this story also happens to be one of his neighbors? They live in a small village. You've got to imagine first century village life. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Why? For a friend of mine has just unexpectedly showed up in the middle of the night, arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, which is a crisis of epic proportion in that culture. I mean, hospitality is everything in that culture. And frankly, bread in that culture is like having utensils. It's, it's the, it's the knife. It's the fork. It's the spoon. It's even that way today. You know, the last time that we were in Israel, we had a Palestinian guide and a Palestinian driver. And I realized about day two that the driver is a total foodie. Like he's showing me videos of food that he's got like this hole in the ground that he cooks and it's really, I mean, it was amazing. And so what happens when you're one of the leaders on the trip is you and the guide and the driver who are all friends with the restaurant owners and they took us to great restaurants, you get, forgive me, kind of special treatment because you just brought 55 people into their restaurant and they're super excited to see you. You get the idea? So I'm eating with these guys and I realize foodie driver guy, he's got it dialed in. So about day two, I just said, listen, man, from now on, everywhere we go, you order for both of us. And let's go. Let's do this thing. And he did. Every time, oh, you're going to love this, Tom. You're going to lay the orders. Da, 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 da. And what, what with the knife and fork? I mean, we had knives and forks, but it's the bread. You get them and these, you tear a piece of the bread off and you dip it in and you eat. You don't dip twice. That's, that's a no-no, even pre-COVID. Okay. But this is what you use. This guy doesn't even have the most fundamental part of the meal. Humiliating. And now he's going to go wake his friend up to get it. Humiliating. It's understood in that culture it would have been incredibly rude for somebody to just show up at your house at midnight beating on your door, particularly to ask you for something silly that they should have had. It's ridiculous. You're kidding me. You don't have this? How could you not have this? And yet he's having to choose between the shame of losing his reputation on some level for doing that or not feeding his friend. He makes the right choice. He values his friend, and he goes over to this other guy's house with his tail between his legs and pounds on the door and says, please, don't tell anybody about this, but this guy just showed up. I don't have any bread. Would you please give me some bread? And Jesus continues the story, and he says, he, meaning this friend who's now just been rudely awakened in the middle of the night, will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. And yet, Jesus says, I tell you, though he, this sleeping neighbor friend, will not get up and give him anything, at least initially, because he is a friend, yet... Because of his, this rude man's impudence, his shamelessness, he, the rudely awakened man, 
will at least eventually rise and give him whatever he wants, the point of the parable being what? That if this guy who's just been rudely awakened in the middle of the night by this man who is his friend, who should have had bread at the very least stocked up, so it's a ridiculous request on some level, will at least eventually get up and give this guy what he wants. How much more then will your heavenly Father who never sleeps, whose inexhaustible resources, who, uh uh-oh, commands you to come to him. Why? Because communication is the foundation of every relationship, and that's what he wants. Come to me, day or night, any time. My attention is yours. It's the value of having a God that is an infinite being. He doesn't have to spread himself around. He can focus 100% of himself on me, on you, 100% of the time without having to divide his loyalties among anyone else. It's remarkable. He commands you to come. And and when you come, you're not coming as a friend with your tail between your legs and in the middle of the night and you've got to beat on his door and hopefully, you know, he'll get up and be in a good mood and not humiliate you too much. No, no. You come as his beloved son or daughter. And more than that, you are, in some sense, his house. Why do I say that? Because Paul says that. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is where? In you. Whom you have from God. And that you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Like You don't have to go there. You don't have to go there. You don't have to come here. You do. Here he is, waiting all of the time looking for, longing for a conversation with you as his beloved son or daughter. Okay, and here's what that should do. It should motivate you to pray, but not just to pray, oh, you know, I'll give it a shot. I don't know what the heck, maybe something will happen. But to pray expectantly. To pray as somebody who confidently believes, God hears my prayer and he answers. And if that's not motivating enough, then we get to the teaching section, verse 9. Jesus says this, and just watch for the word will, okay? Because he's just dropping it. He doesn't say might. I don't know, possibly. There's a fairly good chance. Sometimes. He says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for everyone. I mean, I can't imagine something more expansive than this. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks find, and to the one who knocks, here it is again, it will be opened. Okay, so before you run off and make that your favorite verse, you know, like text your tattoo artist, hey, I've got a new one. Jesus qualifies this, but he's not taking from it in qualifying. He's adding to it. He's not making it less. He's making it more. It doesn't become something you're like, oh, okay, so that's not what that... No, no, that is what that means, but it's better even than this. He calls to mind a father-child relationship. And he says this, he says, what father among you? So he's going, yeah, you know, some of you are dads. You know, some of you are moms. Think of yourself as a parent in this moment. You've got a child. He's like, I'm going to compare you as dad with your child to Almighty God, the perfect, loving, heavenly father in a moment, to you as his child. And the delta is infinite. And you may be the greatest dad in the world, literally. But he says, even you guys, even we understand this. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? I mean, maybe you'd give him a plastic serpent as a joke, and then you'd give him the fish, right? Like, I mean, come on. The obvious answer is no, none of us. 
We love our children. We wouldn't do that. Or if he asks you for an egg, another good thing is the idea. We'll give him a scorpion. None of us. And so now he makes that comparison. And he says that if you then, who are what? Evil, comparatively speaking. He's not saying you're miserable, but in comparison with who God is and how infinitely greater he is and how infinitely better he is. I mean, if even we know how to give, and here's the key, good gifts to your children, Jesus says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? The idea being that the Holy Spirit is the best gift. So certainly he'll give all the rest. He'll even give you this, he's saying, to those who ask for him. And you're like, okay, so what does that mean? Like exactly what is Jesus saying? Well, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, ask God for whatever you want, and he will give it to you. Seek whatever it is that you want, and God will have to make sure that you find it. Knock on whatever door you want to knock on in life, and God's going to, I mean, like, he's obligated now. He's going to come along, and he's going to kick it down. And the reason that's not what he's saying is because God is a good father, and good fathers only give good gifts, and children don't always ask for good things, even when they think they are asking for something good. Can we agree? I mean, if you're a parent, you've experienced this. You know, I'm going to, I'll give you sort of an extreme example. Okay, let's say that you have a 16-year-old son. By the way, I was once a 16-year-old son. I once had a 16-year-old son. He's like almost 20 now, but he's our youngest. I love 16-year-old young men, like some of the most awesome people in the world. But let's say that you have a 16-year-old son and your 16-year-old son comes to you and he makes it very clear by a multitude of ways that what he wants for his first mode of transportation is a motorcycle that goes like 230 miles an hour, even though he's never ridden a motorcycle and he's anti-helmet, like he's picketing against helmets, like it's just, you know, and he makes it clear to you that there's going to be misery in the house if this doesn't happen, you know. He's texting you pictures and links and, you know, he's printing things out and he's leaving them in your car and pinning them to the mirror in your bathroom. You know, you pull out your wallet, you open it up to get out a couple dollars, and there it is. They're like, he's bombarding you with, this alone will make me happy, this alone will make me happy. If you choose not to give me this, it's going to be unhappy for everybody for a while. It happens. And instead of spending the money on the fast motorcycle, you buy him a used Honda Accord, and he's unhappy. For a while. Until about 20 years later when he's like 36 and he's kind of gotten over his pride about the whole thing. And, you know, and then at that point he comes to you and goes, all right, you know, let's kind of, we can have a, we can laugh about this now, right? Like, is it the motorcycle thing? Like, that was a little bit out there. And at the time I was pretty peeved, but I'm kind of getting the fact that maybe you had greater wisdom than I did. And instead of giving me what I asked for, you gave me what I should have asked for. And thank you because I'm still driving it. It's a Honda. It's going to last forever. Saving me all kinds of money. My son's going to get this. If he asks for a motorcycle, pfft, ridiculous. Like, I think it's that way with the Lord. Except it's often a lot more painful. Because it's not a motorcycle. It's something oftentimes a lot more precious, isn't it? And we go to God, and I mean, if you think you're wiser than your kids, and by the way, you are. Imagine the difference in wisdom between us and God. How much of the future can you see right now? None. Zero. Not like you can't look one second. Well, okay, maybe that one. And this one, okay, maybe that one. Okay, but you can't look a second ahead, honestly, and guarantee anything. The entirety of the future is dark, 
to every single one of us. Now, there are things that we can reasonably project and we can save for and plan for, and we should do all of those things. The Bible commends all of that. But the next second isn't promised to any of us, and some of us have experienced the reality of that. We know that's true. For God, the the past, present, and future is entirely lit up. He's the Alpha and the Omega, and he's he's the beginning and the end. He's the one who declares the end from the beginning. He knows exactly what's coming for absolutely every one of us. He's not concerned at just about the 50, 60, 80, whatever years, 20 years we get in this life. He's thinking on an eternal scale. He's looking at the whole picture. I don't know, but I think he might have a better read on it than I do. But man, it's tough at times when it's not a Honda or not a motorcycle you want. It's something far more precious. And you ask for it and you don't get it. There's only one way to endure that, and that is by faith in the heart and in the wisdom of God. That is by saying, Lord, I don't understand this, and I I don't think I'm going to get this, maybe even in this lifetime. I don't know, maybe I'll get five, ten years down the road and look back and go, okay, I get it now. I'm so sorry. I'm like the kid with the motorcycle. You gave me the Accord, and this is the greatest car ever. Or maybe it'll be in the next life where I have that experience and I can see your wisdom and it's like you take the puzzle piece and you put it in the puzzle and now it all makes sense. And I... God gives us, at times, exactly what we ask for. At times, he's like, nope. At times, he's like, not now. At times, he's like, here's what you should have asked for and this is what you get. It's this and you're going to be upset with me for a while. But the day is coming. When you'll go, oh, high five. I got it. I got it. It makes sense now. And the key is to enter into this relationship with God that is so intertwined with the communication of prayer where you get to a place where no matter what the answer is, you trust the heart of your father and you receive it as good. Gulp. That's what Jesus is inviting you into. He's like, let me tell you, this is the life of prayer. This is, you see this in me? This is, this is offered to you. When you pray, pray like this and pray expectantly and know that your Father is good, that He will always give you only good gifts. He's like, my goodness, you know, if He's not going to deny the Holy Spirit to you, what will He withhold? So I want to give you guys an assignment because I know everybody loves assignments. And you got to do it today. This is a today thing because if you wait till tomorrow, it's too late. Tomorrow takes over and the next thing you know, it's next Sunday and you walk in and then you see me and you're reminded of the assignment. and You're like, oh, sorry. And So part one of the assignment is open up your calendar this afternoon and schedule time to pray. Put it on the calendar. That's how things get done. Schedule time to pray. Every day, going forward. Start with this week, just like I got it on the calendar, I'm going to do it, because Jesus doesn't say if, he says when, and he's inviting you into something that is life-giving. Secondly, take Jesus' model prayer and do it out of Matthew 6. That's a, it's a fuller expression of it. I think that would be better for you. But take Jesus' prayer and then put it into practice, because, you know, again, it's like I'm going to pray, now i got it on my calendar, and it's a little intimidating. What am I going to talk about? Oh, wait, he's told me. It's wonderful. 
And then the third thing is to pray expectantly. That is to say, as someone who confidently believes that God hears your prayer, that God answers your prayer, and then surrender to whatever the answer is, because your Father is good, and He will only give you good gifts. Okay? So there you go. That's your assignment for this afternoon. Let's pray. Lord, we praise You for Your Word, and we praise You for Your Son, God, we thank you that you have come uh, to make us your own, that you have claimed us at the expense of the life of Jesus, that we might in reality be your sons and daughters, those who share the inheritance of Christ, those who have invited into a deep relationship with you, in which communication is such a key part. Or challenge us in a good way. Call us, God, to the life-giving practice of spending time with you, communicating with you, of speaking and of listening, of giving and receiving. Thank you for your patience with us. Thanks for the careful and detailed instruction that, that Jesus, that you have given to us. And, oh, Lord, respond to our prayers. Reveal, God, your heart and your answers. Make us to be a people who confidently expect that A, you will hear, and B, you will listen. Do these things for your glory and for the good of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.